Welcome to the Victorian Parent Council VPC Parent Podcast Series. VPC is a registered charity organisation dedicated to everyone who support parents in educating their children. I'm Jackie Vanderbilt, your host today. Hello and welcome to the Victorian Parents Council live event. This is a post-recording of the event that happened with our special guest, Dr. Marie Yap from Monash University. And in this special episode, Marie is talking about young people's mental health during COVID-19 and beyond and how parents can help in this situation. It was a very exciting call with about 500 people registered to hop on the live call. So if you were one of the ones that missed out, please enjoy this recording. Well, good evening and welcome to another VPC Live. My name is Jackie Vanderveld and it's my pleasure to be um, the host uh, for this evening's uh, chat. And we're very lucky to have uh, Dr. Marie Yap joining us again. So for, for round two, Marie, you've, you're very brave coming back. <laughs> welcome. Pleasure. Um, and we're going to be talking about, as advertised, uh, you know, the COVID, COVID situation, but also particularly around mental health um, and mental health with our, um, with our children. And at this time, we've got some particular pressures. So for those of you who did not meet Marie the last time, I've got a little bit of a bio here and I've, we've had to shorten it, Marie, because you've got a sensational sensational bio. Um, Marie is an associate professor and psychologist at Monash University. She is passionate about translating research evidence into resources that parents can access to help promote their children's resilience and protect them from mental health and substance misuse problems. She has developed uh, a range of online programs to empower parents with evidence-based skills and strategies as part of her parenting strategies program with the aim of reducing risk and impact of mental health conditions in young people. Um, She's also a mum to an eight-year-old and a 12-year-old who she swears is turning 16. Um, And she, of course, in Melbourne is living the dream with all of you in in lockdown. So, um, Marie, welcome. It's lovely to have you back with us. Thank you. Glad to speak to you again, Jackie. Marie, um, we've got lots of questions um, that have come in, um, you know, from last last time, but also we didn't get to, but also again, uh, you know, as this situation has been evolving over the last few weeks since, you know, since we spoke last. Um, and we've seen some particularly disturbing things that, um, you know, parents are, are quite rightly, not just parents, but everyone's really quite concerned about. And I thought we would kick off tonight by actually speaking about that TikTok video um, that was streamed live uh, onto various social media um, platforms. And I think that, you know, even if you're, even if parents think that their children haven't seen it, um, they may well have, even if they haven't seen it, they certainly know about it. So, um, because it did, was quite high, it was quite a high profile story. So Marie, just around that whole, that whole situation, but also to, you know, the, the general questions um, and concerns about suicide and how to actually how do we talk to our kids about this? Mm. Yeah, um, I guess um, I guess most most parents would fall kind of into two camps. So you know, um, the camp where your child has seen it or has not seen it but has heard about it to whatever extent the details might be, 
Um, and then the, I guess there's the other camp where your child has not seen it or heard about it, which is a fortunate position to be in. Um, and and I, I would have, um, I would offer a couple of um, slightly different um, recommendations based on the two camps. So if I start first with, I suppose, um, the, um, the more vulnerable group, um, so to speak. So if your child has been exposed to it in, um, to some extent, to the level that you know, we would expect um, reasonably, um, that's quite distressing. Um, I think the, the fairly consistent recommendation across experts with things with issues like this is to have an open conversation with your child. Um, there is that ongoing myth that's still around um, and was around actually with research ethics committees up till uh, a couple of decades ago, I think, um, with that concern that if you ask someone about suicide, that um, you would trigger their intention to actually attempt suicide. So, you know, so, so there's the concern that if you're asking someone, are they thinking of killing themselves, that it would actually plant that seed in their mind and they would actually then have increased risk for suicide. So the evidence is very clear that that is a myth, a myth. Um, and you know, the evidence clearly busts that myth. Um, so it is actually important, in fact, um, contrary to that myth, to have the open conversation because um, if someone is distressed by either news of suicide or knowledge of suicide or um, it's just finding finding it distressing um, to, to have that, um, to, to be made aware of that reality in some form or other, um, it's actually important to open up a conversation with them about it. And as a parent, if um, that, that person is your child, um, all the more important um, that you actually um, create that space and let them know that you are there to speak to them about whatever is bothering them from, from what they've been exposed to. Um, it's important. I mean, it's been well over a week now um, that that was circulated, um, but it's important if you know your child was exposed to it to monitor how they are coping um, with that experience since then. Um, and, and I think um, a good way to assess that would be to think about how they were prior to the exposure um, and, and see if there are significant changes in their mood, in their behaviors. Um, in the way they interact with others, um, and you know, just kind of general functioning, you know, um, the attitude towards um, schoolwork or um, towards family members and towards friends and interactions and so on. Um, other things like their sleep, their appetite, and their energy levels. Um, so changes that um, whether your child attributes that to the exposure to that distressing um, um, video um, is kind of besides the point. You know, so it's to to monitor if there are declines um, that are concerning and, and to, break, to broach that with your child. Um, let them know that you're concerned about how they're feeling and how they're coping after having been exposed to that um, quite traumatizing um, video, um, as, as we know. Um, and, and I think when you're talking, when you're having that conversation with them, um, it's important to, um, so in this particular instance, it's important to separate the actual suicide from the the act of posting um, that, that suicide on social media. Um, so so the, the act of the suicide is, suicide is a tragedy, um, which you know, we, we all need to take action to prevent as far as possible, but posting that video um, on social media is an inappropriate behavior. And it's actually important to help your child distinguish between those two um, because 
when it comes to the tragedy of suicide um, or, or in a two, um, for people who are genuinely struggling um, with suicidal ideation, um, it is it's something that's important. We, we develop an empathetic stance towards um, because you know, it's not something we want to be judgmental about um, um, or um, to stigmatize, um, but it's, it is a tragedy. Um, and and when, when there are completed suicides, there are, the impacts are, are, are far reaching. And, and so it's something that we certainly want to prevent. And it's something that we want to do whatever is within our capacity, you know, to, to help people to move away from um, if, if they are considering it. So, so the empathy is an important um, element to, to highlight when talking about suicide um, in others, um, but it's also important um, where there's the opportunity like this to also identify the inappropriateness um, of what was done in posting that video, um, which is part of a bigger conversation around um, you know, um, the need for parents to, to monitor their, their child's social media exposure. Um, so, so I think the reality, as, as we all know well, um, in this day and age, um, our, ch our children will likely be exposed to, um, to very uh, unwelcome content, um, you know, via technology, via the internet at some point in their life. So no matter what we do, you know, and it's important that we, we take those protective measures, but the reality is no matter what we do, at some point they are likely to be exposed to something quite disturbing and distressing. So, so our role as parents is not to um, try to protect them perfectly from any exposure like that, but to, um, to work towards empowering them with the skills and the capacity to respond in a way that is helpful for them, um, you know, whether that's through, you know, speaking with um, trusted adults, you know, like, like yourselves, um, their parents, um, or with teachers or other adults whom they um, have a close relationship with, but the importance of highlighting um, um, the, the need to, to monitor, um, for parents to monitor social media use, um, but also to build the capacity in your, in your children. To, um, to be able to cope um, adaptively um, if and when they are exposed to something distressing like that. So the other group then was, so this is, that's the group that were, would have potentially have seen it. So the group then, you know, these sorts of issues then tend to sort of morph into mythology and take on, you know, different, you know, a whole different you know, set of proportions um, when they haven't seen it and there's a lot of talk about it. So um, what can we do with that, with that group of, of uh, young people? Yeah, um, so I think um, in the first instance, what I would recommend is as parents um, to, to watch our own reactions to, to this incident. Um, you know, so we don't want to go to the extreme and be alarmist because this has happened. Um, at the same time, we don't want to pretend that it hasn't happened, you know, as, as Jackie was alluding to. Um, I think it's important to, to realize, of course, that, you know, um, forbidden fruit, you know, like something like this happened, you shouldn't look for it. It's really distressing. Don't go hunting for it. Um, we know that forbidden fruit is by definition tempting, you know, so we don't want to highlight that um, with our kids. Um, so, so in some instances, you know, probably not for this. Um, in some instances, when, when there's a, a disturbing um, video or, you know, quite unpleasant 
kind of um, content, um, some people would feel like, oh, you know, um, maybe I can just watch it with my child and then we can have a conversation about it. Um, I probably wouldn't recommend it for this, this particular instance. You know, it's, it's really quite an extreme one um, that nobody should ever have to be exposed to. So, so I think um, the, the, the more appropriate stance is to, um, you know, let the embers lie. Um, you know, just because there are embers doesn't mean we should, you know, look to start a fire. Um, but, you know, you can broach it um, as an example, for example, you know, for one, um, for, as an example of why social media platforms are not always appropriate for children and young people, um, because it's just so easy for people to abuse um, the access um, um, to, to such a the wide audience. Um, and as we know, in particular, with this instance, that it's actually hidden intentionally. It's, it's just, just that trolling intention there, which, um, which makes it particularly um, um, unsettling for, for, for a lot of parents. Um, and and you know, this wouldn't be the first instance, and it wouldn't be the last, unfortunately. So, so I think it's important, um, you know, if you consider it um, to be appropriate, you know, with your child, to, to be able to broach this indirectly as an example. Um, as, I, as I mentioned, um, to, to talk about the fact that um, when people get exposed to these contents, um, it can be very disturbing and upsetting, um, and it can have quite a, a significant impact on people, um, which, um, you know, we all would rather not have. Um, but, you know, if it does ever happen, and, um, and it's something that disturbs them, that to make it really clear that your, your message is you are you are welcome to come and speak to me. I really want you to come and speak to me about it um, so that I can support you, not punish you for being exposed to that content. You know, so, so I think having that clear message with your child is important. Um, if they haven't been exposed to something like that, to let them know that if ever they are, you know, that, that this is your stance, you know, that you are here to support. Um, and as I mentioned, you know, the focus is, is around then taking that as an opportunity or using this, you know, um, um, event, incident as an opportunity to talk with your child around how we can manage, um, what strategies we can use um, to manage the stress that does arise if we are ever exposed to, to content like this. Yeah. Oh, that, that's terrific advice, Marie. And I've got in my head, I'm thinking too, yeah, there's two other issues that are coming out of this for me. One is the, um, you know, obviously the, the whole TikTok thing, which is, you know, really geared towards, you know, a younger audience. And uh, so, you know, potentially, as you said, there's going to be a lot, you know, there probably is already a lot more that we've seen that we're not aware of. Okay. So there, there's that too. But also too, I think it's, um, you know, as a parent, it's a bit of a wake up call to say, I need to get myself skilled in these sorts of conversations because, you know, we know that these stressful times, you know, not just now with the, with the lockdown happening in Melbourne and, and across Victoria, but, um, but also to just, just life and stress and things like that. We're a lot more aware of it. So parents you can't say, I mean, I often say this in my other work, you know, uh, other work that I do, you know, even though I'm not a professional, you know, in the area that you're in, I, I can't say to somebody, hold that suicidal thought while I go and get an expert. You've got to be able to deal with things straight away. So, you know, can parents, I mean, parents, what can parents do to get themselves skilled up to be able to have those difficult conversations um, if they do arise, like, like, you know, potentially like this, that they can then steer that conversation to something that's going to be a much more positive outcome? 
Yeah. Um, so, so that's that's a really good point, Jackie. Um, and and I think ideally, um, you know, as parents, it's important that we skill ourselves up to be prepared if ever we need to have such conversations. Um, there, there, are, there are some resources out there that I would highly recommend. Um, and one particular one is, um, a lot of you would be aware of Mental Health First Aid. Um, they do provide um, expert endorsed, expert consensus-based guidelines um, for a wide range of different things. And these guidelines are freely available. Um, so there's one particular guideline, set of guidelines that was just um, published earlier this year, um, that's Mental First Aid for Societal Thoughts and Behaviours. Um, and included in those guidelines are specific recommendations for parents who are caring for a child or an adolescent whom they're concerned about um, with regards to um, societal thoughts and behaviours. Um, and so I would, I would highly recommend that. I will, um, I will pass on the link um, to, to those guidelines um, through to Evelyn and to Jackie and team, and um, that, that can be circulated, um, as I said, it's freely downloadable, so um, do go for it. Um, simple simple strategies, um, but really, really quite spot on um, and, and will be very useful if that's um, oh, something that you are. No, that's great. And I can, I can recommend the, um, that mental health first aid as well. I've, I've done some preliminary work in a course, you know, in a course as well. So that's been um, incredibly useful. So, and, and, and easily accessible. It's not, um, it's not brain surgery. You know, you can pick it up. <laughs> you can pick it up pretty, pretty naturally in conversation, yeah. which is lovely. Yeah. So, Marie, look, I think, I think we've, we've spoken a lot about that was the big issue that came up that I think was, um, you know, unfortunate, very unfortunate. But I'm glad we've addressed it tonight. So it's been really useful. Okay, so getting on to some, uh, probably some more mundane, <laughs> mundane topics, but nevertheless, very topical at the moment. Um, siblings fighting and the rivalry is getting out of control. I think we've got a lot of pressure cookers around the place at the moment with everybody locked down for, you know, and together spending a lot of quality time together. We've got siblings that are going, going a bit nuts and lashing out at each other. So what can yeah. we do there? Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, so, so, I mean, Jackie, you know, it's, uh, I think, um, the, the parent who posted this is certainly not alone. Um, you know, that is a, a hot topic um, when, it, uh, when people talk about the impacts of lockdowns on families. Um, and, and so, yeah, yeah my, my response to that really is, uh, I think the first step is to find out what the potential causes are of, um, of the, um, I guess, the escalation of um, sibling fighting in, in your household. Um, you know, one possibility, as we alluded to, is certainly just the fact that we are all locked down and cooped up in the same house. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be siblings. Anybody could, you know, get on each other's um, nerves um, just from having so much contact with one another, so much more than, you know, you would normally choose to have, perhaps. Um, so, so that could be one very real reason for it. And, you know, um, it's, um, I guess, you know, something that we do need to manage. Um, there are certainly other, you know, possibilities and it's important to, to find out what they might be. And, you know, some of these possibilities would include um, quite typically when it comes to sibling rivalry um, in the family, um, it has something to do with the parents. Um, so, you know, just the, the, ch the children feeling like they are lacking quality time with parents, um, that sense of, um, you know, um, insecurity about um, the parents' love and care towards them because everyone's just going through a tough time. Um, and, and that does sometimes express in the form of rivalry towards other siblings. Um, 
and and perhaps more so if parents are also time poor and energy poor. Um, so so that that could be a, a very real and and common um, cause. Um, another one is just lack of quality time communication with each other um, as siblings. Um, you know, if, if the only interactions they have with each other are when they're fighting over something, then, you know, that's not, that's kind of, in a sense, that's almost like, you know, of course you would fight, right? You, know, you only have negative things to interact about. Um, but, you know, on the contrary, you know, where there, where there have been opportunities to have quality time and have respectful and fun communication and activities together as siblings, um, that's what will build the bond. Um, so if, if there is an absence or reduction in that kind of interaction between the siblings, that could be another possibility. And again, that could have stemmed from, you know, just um, everyone kind of starting to get really sick and tired of being on lockdown. And again, that, that feeds that. Um, it, of course, there's also, you know, the individual um, personal level difficulties that, that each child could be struggling with and, you know, um, that um, the struggles, the emotional um, struggles, if it is, um, you know, can play and act out, you know, in the form of, you know, provocative behavior or disrespectful um, um, or, or just angry or, or um, often on edge and just so easy to tip over. Um, so, so these are some, you know, quite common possibilities. And I guess if you think about, you know, what they could be, uh, could be a combination of all of them really. Um, and really um, a, a best way forward is to, to have some one-on-one -on -one time with your child, um, with each child um, and, and have a chat about, you know, what's been going on. Um, you know, most children will acknowledge that, you know, things haven't been great um, amongst themselves um, and, and to use that as an opportunity to find out what it is that's been bothering them. Um, have, um, um, so besides just having the conversation about the rivalry, just to, if, if it is an issue, you know, make sure that you do restore, resume one-on-one -on -one time with your kids. Um, that, that often um, for some families, often that's enough, you know, just to resolve the, the rivalry because suddenly the kids feel like their emotional tank is filled up, um, you know, it, through the positive interactions with their, their parents. Um, so that's really critical as well. Um, and then, you know, if, if it's possible to have some family conversations around what's going on, you know, so, you know, there's been way, way too much yelling around the house, you know, we've forgotten how to speak kindly um, and respectfully to one another and start talking about, you know, how we would like things to be different um, and form a family agreement around, you know, what are appropriate boundaries for respectful communication, um, do's and don'ts that everyone agrees to, um, what the consequences would be um, if, if the agreement is breached um, and, and, you know, even agreeing to, in some instances, um, for short periods of time to for the kids to have time out from each other, you know, sometimes that could be enough. Um, and then after some time out together, uh, away from each other, they can then have some quality time together doing something they both enjoy doing, whether that's with the parent or without, um, you know, depending on um, how that works in your family. So some, some of those um, suggestions would hopefully help to ease, ease the rivalry. Okay, thank you. Good luck, everyone. <laughs> Good luck. Um, I think um, certainly a lot of we had a lot of questions about anxiety. Um, so we're seeing that this is, you know, clearly, clearly rising or if it, there's been a, you know, a sort of perhaps a, you know, a, a tendency for a child or a young person to be a bit anxious, it's certainly parents are becoming a lot more aware of it. But there are a couple of things that I, I want to sort of merge together and then I'll, then I'll let you, I'll, I'll let you run with it. But we've got 
anxiety rising with my child, poor sleep and angry lashing out um, in behaviour. But also too that some of them were expressing they don't feel safe in their home, having seen, uh, you know, those arrests that have happened um, in Victoria where people, where the police have come into the house and 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 of course all well, that's all been streamed you know on social media too so um and and played again and again and again so we've got this situation where we've got that high anxiety anyway and now the place where they are meant to feel safe they don't feel safe so um that's quite a big question marie and i'll <laughs> very, very gladly hand it over to you <laughs> yeah. yeah um i guess the, um i mean Linking the two two questions together, I mean the 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 underlying issue there is is the anxiety in the child. Um, you know whether um, there is a clear um, trigger to the anxiety, such as you know um, exposure to you know um, media about people getting arrested in their homes or otherwise. Um, you know lots of different things that people could be feeling anxious about in, in the current times. Um, so if we just kind of dig into the, the underlying cause of anxiety, I could speak to that. Um, with, with the first point about, you know, kind of the child's sleep is, is um, declining and there's, there's also angry lashing out behavior. Um, I think the first thing that I would say is, um, as parents, it's really important. Um, while it's really easy, for us to react to our child's behavior when it's unacceptable. Um, it's really important that we try to separate the, their behavior from the emotions that um, are under, underlying those behaviors. Um, so you know, it's, um, it's important that we attend to whatever difficult emotions or intense emotions our child is feeling um, while um, maintaining boundaries or setting boundaries for the behaviors that they are um, expressing their emotions with. Um, so I guess in the heat of the moment, you know, while it's easy to, to react to lashing out behavior, um, it's important that we take a pause and think about, okay, what's, what's underlying that, you know, so this is not typical of my child. Um, and um, what can I do in this, in this instance that is not a reaction um, to, to the behavior that I clearly do not like. Um, so, so I think, um, so that, that's the first thing. Um, and and as, as this parent has very, very um, identified very well, you know, um, the, the, um, even the angry lashing out behavior um, is actually um, um, driven by the child's anxieties. Um, and, and anxiety is something that, um, depending on the age of the child, um, can be really overwhelming for them. Um, and, and sometimes the acting out behavior is all they can do, you know, to express that um, or to, you know, um, until they, they have some support and guidance to actually articulate and, and acknowledge that actually what's happening here is I'm feeling really anxious about what's going on. I, I'm afraid of these things. Or I'm worried about these things. So helping a child to put some language to, to what they're feeling is important. Um, when it comes to responding to your child's anxiety, um, there, I guess there, there are some do's and don'ts uh, that, that I could offer. Um, I think that um, the first thing to remember as parents, as I mentioned, is you know, aside from separating their behavior from their emotions, um, is to also be careful um, to to not dismiss or minimize your child's fears. Um, so even if it seems very trivial to you, or even it seems like as an adult, from an adult perspective, it's like 
really, you don't need to be anxious about that. Um, you know, it's important that we, we hold off on that, you know, um, reaction and, and to remember to empathize with, with um, our children's fears because um, their fears would feel very real to them. So, you know, however, however we might view it, it is very real to them. Um, so it's important to, to um, remember validate how they're feeling, um, whether you um, agree with it or not, um, you know, it's important to validate that, that that's real for them. Um, it's also natural, um, very easy for parents when our, when our child is distressed um, from something they're afraid of or worried about, um, to, to go two ways, you know, so, so one, we could kind of go into overprotective mode and, you know, we just want to swoop in and, um, reassure our child again and again and again, you know, everything will work out fine, don't worry, I will sort it out for you. Um, and that, and that's, that's kind of one form, you know, we just want to swoop in, we don't like to see our kids distressed, um, we want to resolve the issue for them um, in whatever, whatever way possible. Sometimes it's not possible. Um, in this instance, you know, it sounds like this parent is feeling a bit at, at their at wit's end, you know, so, um, Sometimes when we, when we respond that way to our child, it could actually feed their anxiety um, because we are actually almost reinforcing it by allowing them to avoid it. Um, you know, so it's kind of like, oh, if you're if you afraid of that, that's fine. I'll just take it away. You know, I will make sure you're not exposed to it anymore. I'll make sure that, you know, you don't have to face this fear again. Um, well, that seems like an intuitive, loving parent kind of response. Um, it does mean that we're actually allowing our child to avoid um, what they were afraid of, um, which means that they actually don't have the opportunity to learn how to face that fear um, in, in a healthier way. Um, and, you know, whether you call that kind of brave behavior or facing your fear, um, it's important that our child develops that capacity to do it because there'll be, you know, lots of other, you know, potentially um, anxiety-provoking things that they will fear, um, that they will be exposed to as they grow, as they grow up. So, so it's a really important skill that we want our kids to develop. Um, so allowing them to avoid what um, they're afraid of um, is actually going to be contrary to, to the, the development of that skill. Um, the other thing um, that, you know, some parents might fall into is um, if their child continues being very anxious um, about whatever the cause is, um, it's very easy to lose your patience with them, you know, because I've assured them that it will be fine. Um, and then they get anxious again and then, you know, they, they start crying or, you know, get really upset. And then it just becomes, you know, it, it feels like you're, you're going nowhere. Um, and, and in such instances, it's, it's, it's important to remember um, that facing, facing their fears can feel very overwhelming um, and it will take time and a lot of courage and a lot of encouragement from parents um, before they will be able to face their fears um, um, and actually move ahead um, with, with that. Um, so it's important to, to perhaps put yourself in their shoes or remember um, something that you are afraid of or perhaps you were afraid of when you were young, kind of just to, to to reflect on that, you know, that again, as I was saying, um, no matter what we think, um, if your child is afraid of something, it is very real for them. So it's important to, um, to have that empathy. Um, and along with that, you know, um, to look for every tiny little effort that you see your child making to face their fear. And, you know, just kind of jump in at it and praise them for it and really, you know, validate the efforts 
even if they, you know, try for like two seconds and then they freak out again, you know, it's important to actually validate, you know, it's so good to see that you were actually trying. I know it's hard, you know, so actually praising them for those efforts, you know, whether or not it seems to succeed. Um, it's a secondary thing, but really identifying, looking for those opportunities to encourage them that way is important. Um, and last but not least, it's um, being a good role model in how we manage our own anxieties because um, it, it is actually quite contagious, as you probably would know. So in, especially from a parent to a child, if a child is anxious and sees that the parent responding anxiously, or if the child is just watching and the, the parent is getting carried away by their own anxiety, it really does um, have an effect on the child because that's what they learn. Um, that's how you respond. If there's something that's um, anxiety provoking, you freak out. Um, so, so that role modeling is important. So if, if it's something that you, you feel that you um, perhaps learn a few tips about, you know, managing your own anxiety, then it's really, it'll be really important that you, you seek out those strategies um, to better manage your anxieties. And then you can talk to your child about how you overcame your own fears um, and, and actually encourage them to try some of those strategies as well. That's really helpful because actually the other question that we had tonight was about parents, a parent feeling anxious and knowing that their anxiety was up and they, and they know that they're not themselves at the moment. So they're, they're recognising that um, and saying, you know, how can I talk to my kids about how, what I'm going through without freaking them out. So, you know, that role model is, is really important, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, if, um, if as a parent, you find that um, things are getting a bit out of hand, um, it's, um, there, there, are lot, there are lots of resources out there. And, um, and one, one of those that the, the Department of Health um, um, pushes is the headtohealth.gov.au um, website has excellent resources there. Um, you can also access um, um, actual programs that, that you could you know, um, develop some strategies for yourselves. Um, or if you feel like you're at a level where you actually would like some pro professional support, that's really important that you also take that step, um, whether that's through your GP um, or otherwise. Um, so, so it's um, the, the role modeling is not just what you do day to day, but also if you are confronted with um, being at a point where your existing coping strategies don't seem to be enough for you, um, it is important and totally fine, um, in fact, really good, that you then take that step to seek professional help so that you can develop further strategies to help yourself cope. Um, that is such an important thing um, to, to role model to your child. Um, and, and even beyond that, um, you know, just kind of with, with regard to this point that um, this parent has raised, um, there is concern that, you know, if I told my child that I am experiencing an anxiety disorder, um, that it could freak them out. Um, I, and I think that um, it is a really, it's a very pervasive um, kind of um, stigmatizing attitude towards um, mental health, mental illness still um, in, in the society today. Um, Depression, with, when it comes to depression, I think um, the stigma has, has reduced um, and, and Beyond Blue has, been, has um, done great work in, in, that, in that realm. Um, but when it comes to anxiety disorders, um, I think um, the research evidence actually does suggest that, that people still feel like you know, um, they don't have a right to have an anxiety disorder, if that makes sense. Um, you know, so, and, and you know, if, if you think about it this way, you know, it's just as our, our physical immune system will fail us at times and we will 
catch an infection. Um, or our bodies get worn out and we get a physical injury. Um, you know, so likewise, our emotional coping sometimes get one, gets worn out too, and that could lead us to have difficulties with um, our mood or with anxiety. Um, so in all these instances, you know, um, with the, the physical um, health um, issues, we will all go, yeah, just go see a doctor, right? You know, get some help with that. Um, and it's exactly the same thing with our mental health, you know. So if we feel like we're at a point where we're on the edge and we need more support, let's go get it. There's nothing to... Um, there's no need to, to fear um, that there's anything to freak out about um, in, that, in that regard. And, and that's, that's precisely how you can speak to your child about it. You know? So just as my muscles can get worn out and I get a physical injury, um, at the moment, my coping strategies are getting worn down um, and I, I need some additional help with that. Um, and so it's, it's to normalize that kind of... Um, to normalize that experience um, because it is a very real thing and all of us will be touched by mental illness in our lives in some way or other, um, in ourselves or people we know. So it's, it's really important as parents as well to, to really tackle that, you know, if there are still kind of stigmatizing concerns or fears in yourself um, towards mental health, to tackle that head on. And, and, and that in itself will be great role modeling for your kids. Um, especially as they grow up and with all these concerns about mental health around them to realize that, hey, you know, we get, we get sick physically. Um, some people will also get sick with their mental health and that's totally normal. And, you know, we would support them and we would empathize with them. Um, there's no need to, to fear or, or stigmatize or judge. No, thanks. Thanks, Marie. Um, We've, got a, um, we've had quite a number of concerns raised by parents, particularly, particularly the little ones, because they haven't had a lot, a lot of time at school at all, you know, if, um, regardless of this year. But um, the question was about their um, children being fairly social and they do have friends, but now the youngest two are sad and crying a lot, saying their friends will have forgotten them. And this mum, this mum is saying it's heartbreaking. You know, what, what advice do you have for her in dealing with this with her children? Yeah, um, I guess it's hard to know how, how old the kids are. But, you know, with, with younger kids, um, I think um, playing, I guess I'll, I'll put it this way, you know, playing a game of detective with them. You know, let's find out um, if what you're afraid of is true, you know, is there a way of finding out, you know, um, and, and kind of making that a bit of a, a kind of a fun uh, exploratory game with them. Um, if, if it's possible, um, you know, see if you could organize a play date, you know, um, with your kids' friends, either that's virtually, either, either um, virtually um, um, via, via media um, or um, in, in, even in our current lockdown, we are allowed to socialize up to two hours. Um, so if it's an open area, like at a park, um, if you're able to, to just say hi to each other um, and, and, and meet that way, um, that could be an opportunity for your, your kids to um, realize that, hang on, you know, they, these other kids still remember me. Um, and, you know, it's something that they would desperately miss. Um, as you are saying, Jackie, it's, it's a very real, um, challenge for young kids. Um, I suppose, you know, if, kids, if your kids are a little bit younger, um, it's, 
it's worth having um, more of a conversation with them about, you know, what they're afraid of, you know, when it comes to their, their friends forgetting them, um, you know, to think about, you know, what kind of qualities um, you would look for in a friend. Um, if, you are, if, if you are a great friend to another kid, would you just forget them? Um, you know, and, and talk about these things and talk about what you would look for, you know, if you're looking for a good friend, um, would a good friend just forget you, um, you know, and, and kind of um, use that opportunity as well as have, to have those conversations. I think, um, you know, trying a few of these strategies could, could be um, useful. Yeah, thank you. I hope that's helpful for that, for that parent. Um, an interesting one now because we're spending a lot of time with each other we're probably noticing a whole lot of stuff about our children and our children are probably noticing things about us as well but this parent this parent's asking what signs would be serious indicators of adhd or am i being paranoid given the lockdown circumstances yeah um well it certainly is possible that um lockdown um you know in large part, the physical inactivity that all of us um, are, are constrained into um, can bring to the fore some underlying difficulties if there, if there were. Um, and um, if there were some kind of low level difficulties with attention or hyperactivity or impulsivity, whether that's a temperament thing um, or otherwise, um, it, if there are um, difficulties already um, being on lockdown could certainly also exacerbate them um, to the extent that, you know, um, while you could live with the low level difficulties, suddenly it becomes quite unmanageable. Um, so it certainly is possible. Um, however, it's important, you know, I guess in, in terms of wanting to know um, what would meet a diagnosis for ADHD, I mean, it's important to, to remember that with diagnoses like that, there's usually a time frame that um, the difficulties need to have persisted for. Um, so in, in, the, in the instance of ADHD, it has to be at least six months. Um, the difficulties need to present in at least two settings or more. So, you know, it might be a bit difficult if the child's always at home. Um, but, you know, typically, you know, you'd be looking at, you know, those difficulties are presenting at home as well as at school, as well as in social settings with friends, for example. Um, you know, it, it shouldn't be just constrained to a particular setting, um, in which case it could be other issues or other factors. Um, and also to meet diagnosis, obviously, um, the, the same factor that we look for with all mental um, disorders, um, ADHD, um, similarly, um, is that it actually is impacting on the person's functioning. So, you know, if, if the, what the parents concerned about as indicators of ADHD are actually impacting on the child's ability to um, interact with others socially, um, whether that's at home or, you know, with, um, with other kids or with their teachers through online learning, um, you know, it's actually interfering with their ability to function um, the way they used to um, prior to the, the um, I guess, the symptoms um, becoming quite apparent. Um, ultimately, ADHD um, should really only be diagnosed by um, a specialist, um, a pediatrician or a child psychiatrist, um, and there will also be thorough assessments that would be conducted before the, um, the diagnosis is made. So, so if, if, if you are really concerned about your child, um, then it's important to reach out to your GP for referral um, and take it from there. Uh, that that's um, having having been on the other side of that in schools, yes, 
there's a lot of investigation to take place. So um, sometimes a bit of cabin fever and feeling antsy at home is not necessarily ADHD. So, <laughs> um, so but anyway, no, um, not to be true, not to trivialise it at all. That's something that does need investigating. Look, we've got, I think we've got maybe one last question that we can probably slip in, and we've actually had someone put that up in the chat. Mm -hmm. So I might just read, I might just read that. Um, do you think, and this is a bit of a crystal ball question, I'm afraid, <laughs> do you think that um, the children will ever return to the way they were before COVID or will life not be the same for them? I don't know whether we can answer that. <laughs> yeah, um, well, I guess it, it depends on what um, what you mean um, about how they were before. Um, I, I think... Um, and this is not just for children, it's for all of us. I think it's important that we, and, you know, some people have used the phrase, it's a new normal. Um, I think, you know, what what we all need to realise is um, post-lockdowns, post, you know, COVID fears, post-vaccinations and so on, um, we really probably shouldn't expect life to be exactly the same as pre-COVID, you know. So we have all gone through literally a once in a lifetime, hopefully, um, pandemic experience um, that's like never before. So, so I, I, think, I think it's, it's actually valuable that we are realistic um, in our expectations that we won't be the same as pre-COVID, um, but we will develop, um, we will have developed um, resilience, we would have developed new skills, resourcefulness, um, Hopefully there, there is good that would have come out from, you know, this difficult experience that we've all gone through together um, in, in, in various ways. Um, and our children can be more resilient because they've been through it. Um, so I, I would actually, I personally wouldn't want my kids to be the same um, post, you know, COVID lockdowns and so on. I want them to be stronger. I want them to be able to look back at this ridiculous year, you know, that we're all going through now and actually go, Oh, there were bits I really hated, you know, but then, you know, there are these things. Um, so, so, I mean, I, I don't know if that addresses your question, Jess, but I, 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 do, I do believe that it's important we, we see beyond um, just resuming the pre-COVID normal um, as if that's like um, the, the utopia, um, because I believe there can be better and there can be more um, and our kids can be better off because we have all been through this and we have all grown through it. Um, and there are things that we, we can do right now to, to help them um, down that, that path. Yeah, look, and I tend to agree. I think, yes, there's a bit of grief about some of the stuff that we've lost, but, um, but we've also dug deep and found some, you know, that we're actually pretty good at things too. There's new, new ways of doing things. And I think we're all finding that there's, um, you know, there's been some silver lining to this as well. And I think as families and kids and parents and just the way we do life, there's been some real, real pluses as well. So I don't want to lose those. So, if, you know, when life does sort of go back to a little bit more more open and um, I don't want to lose some of the, the, the quiet that we've found found too which I, I found yeah. um I found really good mm. so Marie I think we've, we've come up to time and I'd like to say thank you uh, so much for uh, for being with us tonight um, we've got Marie back on the 22nd of October so uh, we look forward to 
seeing where we're at at that point, which is, you know, almost another month down the track. But uh, thank you so much for your time tonight. It's been lovely having you having you chat with us and share your wisdom. Thanks, Jackie. Great to, great to do this. And, uh, and I think, too, we've got um, VPC has got a, quite a number of events coming up. So please check out the website. Um, but we've also got, in particular, some polls that we're interested in getting some feedback from parents on. Um, so we've got um, a poll currently running around NAPLAN. Um, we know that NAPLAN plans this year were disrupted. Uh, so if, you're, uh, if you've got a view on NAPLAN, please go to the website and, uh, and check out our poll. We'd love to hear from you. We've got it on the website. We've got it on uh, Facebook. We've got it on Twitter. I think all of the, all of the social medias for VPC. But come, upcoming events, we've got um, Raising Girls with Steve Bidoff, and that's happening on uh, Saturday afternoon at 2 p.m. So go to the VPC website and book for that one. Uh, and then on the 23rd um, of September, we've got um, a replay of Living Through Lockdown with Maggie Dent. So um, we've got the replay happening on that one. So go and check that out. That's all up on the website and you can get access to the details there. So thank you everyone for joining us. It's been a pleasure having you with us. We hope that you've got a lot from Marie. We certainly enjoy having her here and her expertise um, and have a lovely evening. We'll see you next time. Bye now. Thank you. Thank you to our guest speaker. We hope you enjoyed today's topic. Want to know more about this podcast and other VPC podcasts? Please visit the VPC website, vicparentscouncil.vic.edu.au and leave a review. We would also welcome you to contact us if you would like to be our guest or if you have a topic around parenting and education. Thank you to Melbourne singer Emma Sydney for her permission to use her soundtrack, Cherish. Until next time, thank you for listening.